They just do not stop having the mafia in Providence. The Atwell Avenue boys. What, those sicko fucks in Rhode Island? They may be old, my little nephew, but those dogs can still hunt. Hey, what's going on? Shamrock Show 19, back in your life after a while. I uh, won't bore you with the details, but uh, had some hiccups, just like everybody in 2020. And then I spent uh, a month dealing with Corona, so I'm a little bit winded. You know, don't hold it against me if it sounds like a mouth breathing in your ear. Hopefully, I am not. Going to uh, let you know that I've changed the names of the people in some of these stories because there's no guest today. It's just me telling some stories, and uh, I hope you dig it. So, unless I say otherwise, it's not a real name. Also, the time this took place would be about 2000 or 2009. So, if you're involved in either of these worlds, just know that uh, everything I said was factual at the time. Who knows if it is now? Let's get going, man. So, this story goes back to my sophomore year of high school. Um, I, I still remember um, I, I was in biology class and a new kid came in like super guido looking dude and you got to go remember this is the mid 90s we were all like thugged out big bubble vest timberlands pant leg rolled up it's just what we were and 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 that was my that was my style i considered myself like gangster and this new kid who came into class whose name i would find out was joey and just moved from providence was every bit a providence guido 90s hip-hop gangster and you know we hit it off right away um the fact that I thought that that was a gangster at the time is really kind of relevant because we got to know Joey and, you know, he would talk about his dad being involved in the mafia. So to me, I didn't know anything about the mafia. I hadn't even seen Goodfellas or Casino or anything like that because um, it just wasn't something that I even was mildly interested in. You know, I was watching Master Society and you know, above the rim and listening to Tupac and Bone Thugs and like really in a different mind state of, of what was a, a gangster. So he would, you know, mention from here to time to time about his dad being involved in organized crime, but it didn't really hit until we got a little bit older and I'm, and you know, when I met his father. Um, so uh, my friend Joey and his father, Nicky, come from Lebanon. Uh, you know, they've been here. You know, Joey came over when he was really young. Um, you know, and, and Nicky was involved in the war over there. I didn't even know where, where Lebanon was when I met them. Um, but, you know, check it out if you want. Uh, if you're into, like, war and history. It's a, it's a bad scene over there in the late 70s, um, early 80s. And uh, Joey's dad, Nicky, was basically a, you know... A mercenary war veteran and had been involved in a lot of stuff and, and they moved here and ended up in, in Providence. Uh, Joey ended up moving to Griswold, Connecticut where I went to high school because getting uh, himself in some trouble and he had to kind of lay low for a little bit as is known to happen in life when you you know live a little bit wild. So the first first breath of his dad being somebody to me was when I was 18, it was like the summer after my senior year of high school. And we had a bunch of us that used to go up to these clubs in, in Rhode Island. And, you know, we were not old enough to be there, 
but we would get to the door and we for sure were not paying cover or waiting in line and we're ushered right in and got given tables and all kinds of stuff all by name dropping his father um there was one spot we used to go to just about every thursday and one day the owner fired the door guy on the spot because the door guy was giving us a hard time about coming in and it was the same door guy every week and every week we would go up and be like hey you know we're with nikki and he would give us a hard time and we'd be like yo get the owner and it's obnoxious now that you know i'm in that business and anyone who name drops anybody like i tell my door guys you know if anyone ever comes to the door like oh i'm friends with sean tell him to fuck off you know the anyone who's friends with me would have contacted me directly and it's whatever and name dropping is like the worst thing you can do but that's we were 18 and we were name dropping all over the city of providence and just walking around like a bunch of assholes doing whatever we wanted on the strength of joey's dad nikki um the other time that things got a little bit real was a few years after that and, and joey and i got arrested at narragansett rhode island beach for getting in a couple fights yeah a, a couple fights not just getting in a fight and uh we're sitting in a holding cell right and we're sitting there forever and then the cop one of the cops comes down somebody some kind of sergeant or whatever and he goes to joey he sees his last name and he's like hey is your father nicky and i'm like jackpot yes you know and, and joey's like yeah yeah that's my dad and the cop just went off. He's like, tell your father, keep this bullshit in Providence. Get the fuck out of here. This is a nice... I was like, ah, oh, we were fucked from from then on out, man. They had a high-ass bond and, and whatever. It's just, you know, it was stupid kid stuff. But I think for a minute, I thought we were golden. But, you know, they, they weren't having it out in the country. But the way um, I was explained that Joey's dad, Nikki, got involved with organized crime in, in, in Rhode Island was that... You know, he was a soldier, right? He was a guy who'd been through a lot of stuff. And he had a cousin there who got in some trouble uh, financially with organized crime, which is kind of the theme of this whole podcast we'll get to see. But um, he got involved with... The, the cousin got involved... So I, I don't know what the what the issue was, but the word on the street was that they were going to have him killed. And Nikki went into a restaurant where some of these guys were and were like, hey... You're going to kill my cousin. I'll, I'll kill you guys right now, which led to some negotiations. And, you know, those kind of guys don't like being talked to that way. But at the same time, they were like, hey, look at this guy, man. Maybe, you know, maybe we should bring him on board. And and that's how that happened. Um, so, you know, this is all taking place late 90s, very early 2000s, um, somewhere around 2002, maybe. Could, uh, you know, the the years are a little bit off. No, it was earlier than that. But either way, one day Joey's like, hey, you know, my dad has a strip club in Connecticut now. And I was like, how did I get a strip club? So what happened was there was a strip club locally that was owned by this guy, Bobby, real name. He was um, a floor boss, a pit boss at Foxwich Casino, which if you're not local to Connecticut, is one of the biggest casinos in the world and it is, is right here by me. Um, and he, he was a, a pit boss there and he, he owned the strip club. Um, and then something happened where he got involved with being in debt to the guys from Providence, this guy, Silvio, who was Nikki's boss. Um, if you ever watch the Sopranos, there's a, a season where there's like a sports book, uh, sports store, a sporting goods store. And the guy gets involved in the, in the, in the mob and the guys from the Sopranos just take over his store. 
this is more or less the same thing. I was told it was sports betting, but I don't know if that's actually what it was because I've also heard that Silvio was invested financially in the club before that even happened. So I don't really know what the, the, the dots were that connect, but, but somehow this guy got jammed up and they took the club from him. He, you know, was pushed out of his own club. And, and that's what happens when you find yourself in debt to these kind of people, you know? Um, so we started hanging out at a strip club and, and again, we were just barely 21 at this point, I would say, um, you know, we'd go in and everyone knew that we were Nikki's kids and they, they treated us like fucking gold. And, you know, we drank for free. There was two sides to the club. This one side of the club was the strip club. And the other side of the club was like this pool hall slash sports bar. So we were always looking for hustles and ways to make money. Um, one of the things we did was the strip club side, we started hosting an amateur night. So we would go around to, uh, different stores mall where you see like a pretty girl and we would be like hey we're running this amateur night at the strip club and if you give us a hundred bucks we'll make sure that you win tonight and the prize is 500 bucks you know but we would make that same deal with like 10 girls you know and i know it's it's not a, a respectable thing to do but you know just keep in mind we're a bunch of 21 year old kids with one of them has a, a gangster for a father and we were living off every second of that. So, you know, and then we would bring a crew down and we would pick whatever girl we actually wanted to win and we'd make sure everyone clapped for them. But, you know, and we would just make off with the, the money. But then we started doing parties on the sports bar side and we would hire a DJ and they would let us keep the door. Um, but keep in mind, we were just 21 and we were packing the place, but we had a lot of underage kids in there and, one of the bartenders found out she was someone who went to the same high school as I did, but she was older than me. And when she realized that she was older than me and that these people in the bar were younger than me, she put two and two together and started carding people, even though we had someone quote unquote carding at the door and saw that there was hundreds of underage kids in the bar. And we got chewed out by Nikki and Silvio. You ever want to see your life flash behind your eyes before your eyes have a couple of just, uber intimidating mob guys screaming at you about how irresponsible you are. You'll see things a little bit differently after that. But um, at this time, I was working at Foxwoods, and on my days off, I was actually bouncing at the sports bar side of the club. Um, but part of working at Foxwoods was um, you get to meet a lot of celebrities. So there was a dinner with the cast of The Sopranos, and the high rollers, you know, so they have these private things where, you know, if you gamble a certain amount of money, you get to come in and meet these celebrities and, you know, they, they put out a dinner and, and all that. So I was working the show and I've kind of talked about this before in a different podcast. I, you know, and I won't really get into too much of that experience. Um, but I, I hit it off with this guy, um, Mike, and he was security for, James Gandolfini, the actor who plays Tony Soprano. So when it came to having dinner, he invited me back to have dinner with the cast. So, you know, I'm sitting with these guys and I'm talking to James Gandolfini and I'm inviting him over to the strip club because I know that Silvio and Nikki are over there and I wanted him to meet those guys. And he wasn't into it. You know, he was cool, but they were like, oh, they, they came by helicopter. They were going back to New York City, blah, 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 whatever. But so afterwards, I went to the strip club and, you know, and, and I was telling the guys how I met the Sopranos and Silvio was like, you know, what was James Gandolfini like? And I was like, yeah, he was cool, but, you know, 
when when the cast was getting out of line, he was like screamed on them like he really was, and I was gonna say like a mob boss, but at that point, you know, I realized who I'm talking to, and, and it was never like put out there like, oh hey, you're in the mafia, I know you're a mob, you know, it's just he was Silvio and he was the boss in the club, you know, kind of thing. Um, but uh, you know, so I'm like, and he was acting like he really was, and and Silvio looks at me like dead eye right and he's like like he was what and i wanted to say you but i was just like you know his character it's just i don't know if it really translates but it, it, it was funny you know you get caught off guard and you couldn't even tell if he was being serious or not but it would have been a cool moment if i could have got james gandolfini to meet the guy he plays on tv you know but um you know this is all this is all leading somewhere don't don't worry um but uh, so I ended up leaving Foxwoods Casino and moving to California. I lived in San Francisco for about nine months. And when I came back, my buddy Jimmy, real name, because I'm not incriminating him in any way in this in this podcast, me and my buddy Jimmy, we opened a bar and, you know, we had this bar going. And it, it was funny because we had a, a door guy who was working in the, he was trying to get a job with the, the local police department, the Norwich Police Department, and he was in the, in the academy. And when he graduated, him and, and some of the other guys who I knew, they're asking if me and Jimmy were involved in organized crime, you know, because they could just tell that we were different. We acted a different way. And we, we put on a show like we were somebody, you know, which we weren't. We were in that world, but we were like absolute nobodies in that world. But to be a nobody in that world felt better than to be a somebody in the regular world at, at that time, you know. Um, but Jimmy ended up having to, to leave the bar because he had some family obligations, new baby, new wife, and it, it just didn't work out. Um, so Jimmy leaves the bar and Joey ends up coming into the bar to take his spot. Um, and he, things in the bar started to, to go downhill shortly thereafter, which I'm not relating to that. I'm just saying, um, and then he ended up getting jammed up on a couple of, things that he had going on at the bar and he needed to take off he moved away just to, to lay low because he had some trouble going on up here um and the bar was going downhill and and his dad nikki told me hey i'm going to be needing more help up at this strip club because it's been bought out by a bigger bigger club so there was another club that had a location in, in south carolina and in Hartford and, and to us was like a, a more upscale, bigger club, you know, to look at it now, you would laugh at that, but you're comparing to what we had at that club, which was like really a dive. Um, it was a whole new thing, you know, and, but, but at this point, Silvio owned the property where the club was. He didn't always own the property, but he, he now owned the property where the club was located. So this new big club that was coming in, had to pay him rent every month, and he required them to keep Nikki on board in case they ever defaulted on the rent and he had to kick them out. That way he had somebody in who knew how the club was working on a day-to-day -day basis. And I'm sure he was there for, for other things that they had going on too that I wasn't uh, brought in on. It wasn't my business, and this is not the kind of world where you ask questions if you're not given the information. You know what I'm saying? So this is the, the point where the story really will pick up, I think. So this new club comes in to take over the old club. So like I had said, the way the club was set up, one side was a sports bar pool hall. The other side was a strip club. What they did is they made both sides strip club. 
but one side was fully nude and one side was topless only. Now in Connecticut, I don't know what the rules and, and laws are everywhere, but it's kind of it's kind of odd, but for the topless side, you have to be 21. But for the full nude side, you can go in at 18. But the reasoning is in Connecticut, they don't allow liquor sales if you have full nude. You can only have topless and liquor together. So topless and liquor, 21 plus, full nude, no liquor. It's a juice bar. They would have, you know, water, Red Bull, stuff like that. You could be 18 plus. And where the club was located is, uh, beside being close to Foxwoods and Mohegan Suns casinos, two of, I think, I believe two of the three biggest casinos in the world. I think uh, there's one in Abu Dhabi that's bigger or something. But uh, besides being close to them, it was close to a military base. And the military base has guys coming in all the time, and a lot of them are only 18. So now these 18-year-olds have somewhere that they can go and spend money and party. It was really, that was a, a smart move by them. But they had been in business a long time and had multiple clubs, and you know they knew what they were doing in that business for sure. Um, so... There was a lot of tension in the club because the club from Hartford who had taken this over, you know, they had three owners and there was a lot of static between them. Um, two of them owned the other clubs. The other one was just brought in for this club as an investor because they needed the money. It was a, a guy from New York who was involved in the laundry business. He owned a bunch of laundry mats in New York. Great guy. He was the only one of the three who was really a stand-up guy, and he was probably the only one of the three that was actually, he was probably connected himself, and, you know, you could just tell he was a better dude, and him and Nikki were, had kind of hit it off a little bit, more than the other ones, because there was resentment from the club owners that Nikki was there. They had, they didn't want to be babysat, for one, and two, they had their own staff, they had their own managers, they had their own bartenders, they had their own DJs, but we also had DJs and bartenders who stayed over from, the old club so there was there was static there was the old guard versus the new guard and a lot of people they were going out trying to make each other look bad the ones who had been involved with the hartford club want to tell you know the, the the new club oh these guys don't know what they're doing you know what i mean and, and the, the the new people are adverse to the to excuse me the old the, the old crew is averse to the new people coming in it was a very static situation so Nikki was like, hey, man, I know your, your bar isn't doing good. You want to come up here and, and work for me. So, you know, if, to me, it just made sense. I ended up selling my bar, making enough to pay off some bills, and then I came up there, and, you know, I was on the book as a bouncer at basically minimum wage, I believe, but Nikki was also paying me a salary on top of that to be with him, to be his eyes and ears, and just to be his guy, and because he was my one of my best friend's fathers. He was looking out for me. And with his son being moved away, you know, I think he was just happy to have some uh, company and connection to that. But um, I also became friends. Once I got in there, I think I, I eased the tension of that club a little bit because I became friends with the management that was new from Hartford. There was one guy who I really liked, and I, I like to think I was kind of a, the peacekeeper, you know. I was the go-between and... Those two, the, the manager from Hartford and, and, and Nikki, never really hit it off, but they became, you know, cordial. So this is where I really learned the business of the strip club. You know, I had been around it for a few years, but we were just hanging out there, and I had done some bouncing, but it was only on the sports bar side. So now um, I'm in as a bouncer at the strip club, and uh, shortly thereafter, I was made a floor manager. Um, so 
the way a club works is not a strip club. It's not like any other business. It's not like any other bar, any other nightclub. There's nothing that's anywhere, you know, apples and orange, like apples and bowling balls. You know, there's nothing that you can compare this to. First and foremost, the strippers pay to come to work. There's a house fee and a DJ tip out. So if I'm remembering the numbers correctly from my time, it was 50 bucks total. So if you're a girl and you're a stripper, you come in, you're paying $25 to the house just to be there, and you're paying $25 to the DJ. Nobody that's an entertainer, the DJ or the dancers, are, are paid by the club. They're considered independent contractors, or we consider them independent contractors. I'll probably get into that, whether that was factual or not, but um, they were not paid. So a girl has to make at least 50 bucks, which if she's not making at least 50 bucks, you know, she, she has no reason to be there taking her clothes off. And the DJ has to get paid out by the girl. So as a manager, you're trying to make the DJ happy and the customers happy. You need to have a bunch of girls on. So scheduling is a nightmare because all the girls want to work Friday and Saturday nights. Nobody wants to work Monday at noon. You know what I mean? So there's an art to, to really booking the girls. And, you know, what we do is you require them to have a bad shift, basically. Like, you know, you fill it up and first come, first serve. Hey, you want to work Friday and Saturday? You got to give me Monday. Hey, you want to work Friday and Saturday? You got to give me Tuesday. Oh, you want to work Friday and Saturday? Monday and Tuesday are full. You got to give me Wednesday. Like that kind of thing, you know. But you want to keep the DJ happy, and I'll explain why in a minute, but he's getting paid by the girls. So if he's got five girls on, he's making 125 bucks. If he's got 15 girls on, he's making $375, cash money. You know what I'm saying? The DJ wants there to be girls there as much as anybody else. And he'd often get tipped out more than $25 by the girls who are professionals. You know, in this business, like anything else, there's people who are professionals at their job, and there's people who are not. There's girls who tip out, and then there's girls who try to skate out the door without paying their house fee or their DJ tip out. You know, so a lot of times we'd start requiring it from certain girls when they came through the door. They had to bring the $50 with them as opposed to paying it at the end of the night. But that's neither here nor there. The reason the manager wants to keep the DJ happy is the DJ himself is almost like a manager. He's running the girls on the stage. So the stage is what you see when you go into a strip club you go sit at the stage or you see the stage if you don't go sit at it people have a couple dollars up and the girls are maybe they're dancing a lot of times they're just walking around i've seen girls in clubs eating on the stage or just walking around their cell phone which i would never ever have in my clubs uh cell phones you know people didn't even have apps there was no social media and stuff at the time uh you know on a cell phone there was myspace and there was early Facebook, but it wasn't anything anybody had on the phone. But the point of my story is you're not really seeing a lot of dances. You have a few girls out of every 10, you might have two that actually do a lot of dancing or pull work. But really what they're doing is they're on stage as an advertisement trying to sell a lap dance because that's where they make their money. And I'll get into that in a minute. But what the DJ is dealing with is scheduling girls on stage. So let's say he's got five girls. You know, you call girl A to the stage. She does three songs. You call girl B to the stage. She does three songs. You call girl C to the stage. And girl C is like, hey, I've got this high roller. And he wants to buy 10 lap dances, which is where I'm going to make all my money. And, you know, I don't want to go on stage. So 
the DJ will then, knowing that he's going to be tipped out by that dancer, and the more money she makes, the more she'll probably tip him out, he's going to say, okay, I'll skip you and I'll go to girl D. But now he's got to go to girl D, who may be in the middle of dinner or just have an attitude and be like, hey, it's not my turn, even though she's not doing anything. And there's a lot of static there to be worked out, you know, and you might even have to skip girl D and go to girl E because girl D just might tell you, hey, I'm not ready. I got to put on my makeup. I'm changing my outfit, whatever. So the, the DJ is constantly managing the stage and managing these girls, which is an unforgiving job, you know, but there's times where we might have 25 girls on at $25 a piece. You know, I mean, a strip club DJ can and usually does make a significant amount of money but controlling the stage having the song you know they're not playing random songs the girls are every girl wants to dance to their own thing but then you know we got to manage that versus what's in the club you know if you have a bunch of people in the club who want to have hear hip-hop and and a bunch of girls who want to dance to rock you got to find a a common ground you know you want the girls putting on a good show but you don't want the customer hating the music either you know what i'm saying so there's a lot going on that the dj has to deal with the dj is going to be more hands-on with the girls and even the manager as far as how much he's going to deal with their attitude on a given day and believe me, when you're dealing with a bunch of alpha, crazy girls who all day are just being told how amazing they are, it's not the easiest job, and there is a lot of attitude. Um, next up is the bar, right? So in in a normal bar, you're, you're very conscious of how much money the bar is making, because that's where you're making money, obviously. I mean, yeah, I'm talking in circles because it's so obvious. Um, what you want to look to do is have liquor costs of between, you know, 18 would be amazing. 22, 23 is getting a little high, but you want what your liquor cost is, how much money spent on liquor divided by how much money you made on liquor, right? So if you're above, you know, 22, 23%, there's something wrong. You want to, you, you want to keep your liquor around 20%. Uh, cost, you know, and the rest is profit. I mean, obviously there's other expenses involved in a business, but but that's what you want your liquor cost to be. There was no one in the strip club paying attention to liquor. The bartenders could have been stealing, giving away, who knows? No one, it wasn't even on the radar. No one ever asked me about liquor in, in, the, in that business because even though thousands and thousands of dollars were made on the bar, it was a drop in the bucket compared to how much money was made in the rest of the club. And the real money in a strip club is coming from that house fee that I told you about. It's coming from cover charge at the door, what people are paying just to come in the door. Um, strip club generally has cover charge seven days a week, not like uh, your average nightclub that's just Friday or Saturday. It might be more expensive on a weekend, but it's... Uh, generally an everyday thing um but the big big money is coming from dances it's coming from lap dances and the champagne room uh the difference between the two there's a few um the lap dance area is an area might have 10 12 14 chairs or you know little booths all side by side or like like a rectangle where they're facing each other with a divider between the two um, and you'll have a bunch of girls giving a bunch of dances up there. And uh, a lap dance lasts one song. That's how, we're, that's how we're timing it. Every guy likes to joke and request Stairway to Heaven or something stupid like that. Don't do that, man. Don't, if you ever 
don't request a stupid long seven minute song. The DJ's gonna cut it off anyway. But the lap dance is is going based on song time where the champagne room is being bought on a time limit, 15 minutes, a half an hour, an hour, whatever. Also, your privacy and security setup is a little different. In the lap dance room, there's a security guard in the room watching everything. The champagne room, they'd be located outside of the champagne room. Um, and the, the security's job is to keep track of money for the club. So the champagne room... What they're doing outside the door is they're keeping track of how long you're in there because you're going to owe the club an end. If I, if I remember correctly, I think the club got like $150 for a half an hour in the champagne room. And the dancer was allowed to sell it for whatever. She could sell it for $300. She can sell it for $1,000 as long as the house was getting their $150 back. So the, the bouncer who's assigned to the champagne room is just keeping track of how long they're in there so that the club is getting their end and they're supposed to peek their head in once in a while and make sure there's no sex in the champagne room. But you know what happens in there should not be sex, but who knows? Because there's a lot of different deals and girls are willing to do different things for more money. And that's always a nightmare of something you're dealing with as a strip club manager, because you know, your club gets accused and shut down for prostitution. Everybody's out of a job. More commonly is a regular lap dance, and the way that works per song, so the the cost was $25, $5 went to the house, 20 went to the girl. Now, it doesn't seem like a lot, but, you know, girls can do, you know, 50, 30, maybe more lap dances in a night, and that adds up quickly for the girl, and that adds up quickly for the house at $5 a song times 25 girls, you know, times 20 dances. You're talking some significant cash. So what the bouncers up there are doing is girl comes up into the lap dance area. He marks down that she's there once she starts dancing. And he's keeping track of how many songs. So whatever amount of songs she's in there. Say she's in there for four songs. Now she owes the house $20. You know, it's uh, just like the champagne room. But instead of time, he's keeping track of song. Um, he's also there to make sure the guys do not get aggressive with the girls in any way. He's also there to make sure the girls don't get aggressive with the guys and do start doing anything inappropriate. Um, in Connecticut, the way the law was written was that lap dances were technically illegal. You could only have stage dances or, or table dances. So in front of every lap dance booth would be... A little uh, platform, right? You're talking uh, an 18-inch circular piece of wood basically just on the floor. And as long as the girl kept one foot on the little podium, she was considered on stage still. I know it's silly. It's just a, a loophole they found to do this because that was what the, the liquor commission required. It was, a, it was a liquor law that could get your liquor license pulled and get you shut down if the girls were doing full contact lap dances. They're supposed to only be doing table dances. So if they kept the, one of the bouncer's job was to yell, hey, get your foot back on the podium or whatever it was called, you know, so that they were continually in line with the liquor laws and, and they were performing table dances, not lap dances. Um, in the full nude side, that wasn't a law. There was no little podiums, and they could just bounce away on your lap because there was no liquor. Uh, it wasn't a state law. It was a liquor law that uh, made sure that that was happening. So between the two sides of the club, 
there were very different rules and very different experiences. But within within the the champagne room and in, in, in uh, lap dance world, there's leakage. This is where well, that sounds kind of gross. I'm not talking about that kind of leakage. <laughs> I'm saying uh, this is where you'll see st- a lot of theft. So what you'll end up with is say a girl does 10 dances she now owes the house 50 dollars, right at five dollars per song she goes to the security guard and says hey instead of me paying this 50 dollars, you tell the house i only did three dances and let me pay 15 dollars. i will now give you 15 dollars as well and I'm still up 20 bucks. You know what I'm saying? So if the bouncer is making deals with the girl all night, the same thing, whether it was timed, hey, say I was only in there for a half an hour, but I was really in there sometimes for, say, three hours. And instead of owing the house uh, 450 she'll only owe the house 150 and she'll throw the bouncer $100. You know, there's... there. There's no one, they were never paying tax on this stuff, so there was no regulation, there was no computerized system. This is just a guy with a piece of paper and a pencil, and a couple of dances or some time slot could get erased, and now he's taking an end from the house. There's a lot, a lot of things like that that take place in the strip club business, and especially in a strip club business where you have organized crime involved and people who are there who don't have a vested interest in the club, they have a vested vested interest in the organization, right? So there's a famous quote from uh, the movie Casino. So if you've never seen the movie Casino, it's one of my favorite movies, but the organized crime there is involved in a casino, but they're, they're working for themselves as well. They're skimming the casino take, but then they're skimming the skim for and, and pocketing money for themselves and, and, and what robert de niro's character says is something along the lines of someone who is helping you steal is always going to steal a little bit for themselves um and the whole strip club business is just about stealing it's stealing it's it's dealing with people who are desperate and you're taking advantage of them in both sides the employee the girl and the customer Nine times out of ten are people who are in a very desperate state, and you're just taking advantage of them. The club is not paying taxes on any of this money from lap dances, from champagne room, from cover charge, from house fee. Um, it's it's a very gray area between whether it's a legal or an illegal business. Um, and it, it, like like I said, like when you're dealing with this people who are so desperate, what I mean by that is. The customer, the guy who's going out for a bachelor party or having a good time with his buddies, it's 20% of your business. 80% of your business is guys who are just so desperate for attention and socially awkward and or cheating on their wives, spending their money. You know, they're in love with these girls, which I'll get into more, but they're in love with these girls while their wives are at home with their kids and then with the girls, what you're dealing with most of the time are people who are drug addicts or alcoholics, or they are a single mother who's got nowhere to turn. Uh, the, the girl stripping her way through college, again, you're talking less than one out of 10. I would say I knew five girls like that in 10 years. You know, it, it's, it's really rare 
that these girls, you know, I'm not saying they strip forever, but it's really rare that they come in with an exit plan and they're just doing this for a short period of time that's predetermined. They might do it for a short period of time because they can't handle it. But the, but the girl who's like, hey, I got four years um, to be 18 to 22 and I'm going to bang this out and take advantage of being a, a young, attractive girl while I go to school. Very, very minimal. Kind of brings me to the hiring process and what I call the transformation of the vampire. Um hiring girls was interesting you know a little awkward someone would come in and say they want to dance whether they had danced before or not uh you know you're in the office and you have them put on an outfit and see if they could dance you have them take their clothes off because that's what they're going to be doing in there so you have to see what they look like naked and to have to tell a girl she's too fat to dance she's got too many scars whatever that's like try to really put yourself in that position as a manager of the club that's a really really difficult thing most of the time I, it, I wouldn't have the heart to do it and i would be like all right we'll be in touch and just never be in touch but if they were assholes and you know i could be an asshole as well but just to really have a girl come in and be like hey you're not attractive enough to do this job when i'm sitting here by no means a male model it's really a it's kind of a, an awkward position but that that's the hiring process but the thing I say about vampires is you have a girl come in, right? And you're like, hey, what do you do? She's never danced before. And you're like, hey, what do you do for a living? Oh, you know, I, I work at Target. And I'm like, okay, well, what kind of money do you make? Well, you know, I work full time. After taxes, I bring home $350 or something. I'm like, all right, well, this is going to be a, a life changer for you. So a girl will come in. And there, there's an art to, to manipulating and hustling guys. It has really nothing to do with how good looking you are, the prettiest girls in the club are not the highest earner. I'll tell you that right now, any club in America, the highest earner in that club is not going to be the prettiest girl in that club. It's just not how it works. You have girls who are, are hustlers and, and can sell a lap dance and sell their own story. So they go out on the floor and now they're making, say they make $100 a day and they work five shifts and they're making $500 cash. They've already beaten their job. But then once they start making two, three hundred dollars a night, they start hitting every once in a while on a weekend, a thousand dollar night, an eight hundred dollar night. It happens, and and you know that's really big typical money for someone who is a, a veteran, experienced stripper. So then they'll come back in the office one day and be like, "I only made five hundred dollars tonight. This club fucking sucks." And it's like, "Ah, oh, dude, I remember just three months ago when you were like, "Hey, I make three fifty a week, busting my ass in retail." You know what I'm saying? It's a uh, you see the trans the, the 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 transformation of the individual into the real stripper. You know they're they're nice when they're just dipping their toe in, but once they become vampires, they're out for blood, you know, and it's funny, you know, I, I always tell this story, but I just have this one story of this girl who came in and her first night, she had worked at Bank of America and at halfway through her shift, they're like, oh, yo, this girl just walked out and I went outside in the parking lot and it's raining out and she's crying. I can't do this. I'm a good girl. And then like, a few years later, I see her on Instagram. She's on yachts in Miami with these old guys and shit. You know what I mean? The, it's just the transformation of the money, it changes people, man. It, it really does, especially people who are so vulnerable. What you'll see is a, a lot of girls who come in, and they end up hating themselves for doing the job. So then they have to drink to do the job. Or they have to use, and then they start using drugs to, you know, to, to feel better about what they're doing because they, they feel so 
guilty, I guess. I mean, I, I've never, I'm not a psychiatrist and I've never actually had the conversation, but you just see it. You know, you were girls who didn't do drugs or who didn't drink all of a sudden are drinking and doing drugs all the time because they hate the job and they hate what they have to do. Um, but you also just have a lot of drug addicts who come in who are looking for quick cash. You might have girls come in, work one night, you never see them again, or another three weeks later they come back when they need quick cash. Um, because in, in this industry, what really happened sometime in the 90s to 2000s, the lap dance changed this business for the worse. Um, when it was just stage, right, the whole business was different. You'd have guys coming in, they're, they're, all the guys who are in there are looking to party. They're looking to have a good time. The girls are beautiful, they're on stage, and they're just taking their top off. You know, you can get a certain amount of attractive girls to show their boobs. I mean, there's topless beaches all over the world in this country, you know, those girls go on wild videos. People will flash their boobs. So you can get girls who don't live in the town to come in and show their boobs, and they're making money on stage. But once the lap dance came into it, the stage died. There was no more entertainment. And what it really is is a lap dance is more or less a girl grinding on a guy's lap until he completes in his pants. As vul it's as, that's, that's as non-vulgar as I can make it sound, and it's still disgusting to, to say out loud. But you would see guys, you know, they come in on a Monday afternoon wearing mesh basketball shorts and no underwear, and they head right to the lap dance area with a girl. And, you know, the girl doesn't have to necessarily do anything sexual. They're just grinding on their lap for as many songs as it takes. I mean, think about that. So the, the caliber of girl who was willing to do that is significantly different than the caliber caliber of girl who is just willing to show her boobs. But it's it's a it's a slow crawl, you know. Girls start doing lap dances when they first start doing them. A lot of times they're they're mostly on that pedestal I was talking about. They're mostly got their feet on there, and you know they're they're touching the face. And eventually, you know, the money the money makes people do certain things. You know, I'll pay you more money to do this. I'll pay you more money to do that. I I, I had a girl one day. She was sitting at the bar drinking with this guy. It was straight up like, hey, I quit. And I'm like, why do you quit? And he's like, she's like, this guy's going to give me $10,000 to go back to his hotel room at the, with him at the casino. How do you say no to that if you're a single mother? You know, and, and, and I know morality-wise, a lot of you would say, well, I would never do that. But you got to put yourself in that position where you're already a stripper, right? You're already taking your clothes off for money, doing these disgusting lap dances, now somebody's offering you $10,000, that, that's a hard no. And I'm not saying everyone would do it, but I can tell you this one specific case where it happened, and I know it happened more than that. And what does that do to your psyche? You know what I mean? And and once you open that door, how do you close it? The next time somebody comes with $10,000, you are going to say no? Or now you've already done it once, somebody, we do it for $5,000? You know what? I, I, I don't know, you know? Um because really, the, the managers and clubs don't get involved with the girls. The last thing you want to do is owe a stripper a favor if you're the manager of the club because they will hold it over your head to get out of different fines, get out of shifts, to not work bad shifts, to leave early, to come late. And you'll have the other girls. Nothing stays a secret. So the other girls are, you know, fuck, fuck this manager. I'm not going to cover shifts for him because he only does favors for the girls who are sleeping with. It, it's just, it's not, it's not something that happens in the club a lot. I'm not saying it never happens. I'm just saying it's not something that is taking place commonplace. You know what I'm saying? And uh, it's not something you want to get involved with. 
so I don't know the all the details as to who did what, but like we had a uh, executives from MTV come in one time and they put on a, a Visa Black card or an Amex Black. I don't even know; it's not on my budget. But we rang forty thousand dollars on it to shut the club down for these. It was a handful of guys who were in town from they were I think they were at the casino from MTV, and that forty grand we swiped on the credit card was just to close the club. The rest of the night they were buying drinks and lap dances. We had to pay strippers out in checks. Never in my life have you ever seen a situation where you have to pay a stripper in a check and the stripper doesn't want to take the check because she's not paying taxes and hasn't paid taxes in years and is afraid the check is going to jam her up. So these are all the kind of things that happen when you're managing a strip club. I've, I've had to go to hotels and grab girls out of hotels because their boyfriend won't let them leave because that's the other thing is a lot of these girls who have guys who throw money at them all the time really really have guys who just are drug addicts with no job i had a girl who i went to to high school with she was younger than me ended up dancing and she lived in my hometown and i gave her a ride home and she was one of our highest earners i'm like hey you don't walk out of this club without a thousand dollars how do you not have any money and her, and her boyfriend had a you know an 800 a day oxy cotton habit that's what you see behind behind the stage, behind the curtain, is a lot of damage. A lot of damage to some of these people who are going back home to guys who are pimping them out, basically, or, or human trafficking them and making them do this. You know, and, and the things that people do for love when when they are so emotionally damaged is is crazy, and, and I've seen it. Um, but, you know, those are just some of the, the situations in a strip club, you know, so everyone thinks you have this, all your guy friends think you have this really cool job, you know, you have this great job when you're managing a strip club, but really you're just dealing with a lot of headaches. You ever try to break up a girl fight, man? I had these two girls banging at each other. One of them had her hair, had the other girl's hair wrapped around her hand and she's just throwing uppercuts into her face, just leaking blood everywhere. And I'm trying to break the fight up. And this girl's hair is getting ripped out because I'm pulling them apart. You know what I mean? It, it's not this glorious, fun job working in a strip club. You know, the things you see in movies. If you've never been to a strip club, the things you see in in, uh, in TV shows or everyone's just having fun and throwing money around. That's not real life, man. You you just have people looking to to get off. You know, you have people looking to make quick cash. You have people who are in bad places and the strip club is just there to take advantage of them now to backtrack i know i was saying that that quote from casino about when you have someone who helps you steal they're going to steal a little for themselves so i'm working for nikki and then i end up these are all real names my boy tonio was a bar back in the club my boy kyle was the door guy and my friend chris and my friend robbie were bouncers one of the owners, the one I like, came to me and he was like, "Listen, if you guys aren't ripping us off, you're stupid." I, you know, but he was telling me that and uh, letting me know that he wasn't really comfortable with the whole scenario of having all us guys there. And eventually, it whittled down. My boy Robbie was dating a dancer who then ended up dating one of the DJs, and Robbie threatened to make his face in the hamburger, and you know that went its own way. And then my friend Chris, uh, he got jammed up. Um, really early on with that whole lap dance scam I was telling you about where he approached a girl and was like, hey, let's just say you only dis did this many dances, et cetera, et cetera. You know, somebody must have put him onto it, but he told the wrong girl who told one of the other managers and boom, he was out. But uh, Tony Barback for a while, but Kyle was my door guy. So 
there was thousands and thousands of dollars coming through the door on weekends, maybe five, six thousand dollars at the door on a huge party night or something. But there was always two or three, you know, it was like fifteen dollars to get in the club on the nude side, ten on the other side. So wherever Kyle was at, you know, he's skimming the door. He's not ringing in some charges and just letting the cash build up. Um, and um, he's also running the champagne room from the door. He's keeping the track of the time, like I was saying before. So I never talked to him about it. I never, we, I never told him to do it, but I knew he had his own hustle. So let's say he collects $10,000 in a night in door money and champagne room money. So now he's taken a G note for himself. He's giving it to me. I'm taking a G note for myself and I'm giving it to Nikki and who knows what actually got back to the club. But that was also happening with the house fees. You know, say you have 10 girls on, eh, nah, we really only had eight. There's 50 bucks for me, you know? Um, and then you get the envelope from the lap dance area. And that, that would be huge too. Cause that, that bouncer is keeping track of all the dances all night. And like I told you, he's already skimming his way out. You already know that he is. So then when I get that envelope, I'm taking my end and I'm kicking that envelope up and, who knows what happens before that envelope actually gets to back to the club. And the club is making so much money that we could steal more than $1,000 a day and not have it even be noticed. I mean, I'm saying more than $1,000 a piece. You know, it, it, it's just a, it's a crazy cash-driven business. But like I said, the owners are criminals themselves. And... The owners are stealing. For, I'd have one owner come, and he would take money out of the safe. And, oh, don't tell the other guy I was here, grabbing stuff out of the deposit. There was a lot of static between them. And I didn't care about the well-being of that club. You know, I was, at that time, working for Nikki. Um, and then Nikki started needing some help. He doesn't even, I don't know, he didn't, to say he needed the help, to say he needed me would be, a vast overstatement. Nikki started using me and allowing me to be some help. So in the middle of uh, a shift, he would just grab me and be like, hey, we're leaving, call in another manager. And we'd go to Providence, you know, and we'd have a meeting with Silvio. And when I say we, they'd have a meeting. Usually it would involve walking and I'd walk 10 feet back and I wasn't a part of the discussions or you know, we'd go to dinner and I kind of sit a little further back, you know, further away from them. And they have their own little conversations with other guys. You know, I got to meet a lot of guys from Providence, Rhode Island in that life. Uh, we hung out with a guy who owned a, a strip club up there who was really, really good dude, man. And uh, we hung out with, I got to meet the boss of all of New England. And, you know, he bought me many glasses of wine. They owned a cigar bar up there. And we'd go see him uh, just to give a little validity to this podcast. His real name was Louie. If you look up, uh, they called him Baby Shanks. No one actually called him that, but that was his his nickname if you Google him. The only reason I say his name is because I've never seen, heard, I don't know anything illegal he's ever done. I don't know him to be a criminal other than what I read in the newspapers, and he's retired now from that life. But, you know, we would have dinner with him, and, and I got to know him a bit. You know, he he wouldn't know me by name, but he knew I was Nikki's guy. You know what I mean? And... uh you know, I figured I'd drop one name just so you could throw it in the old Google and be like, oh, yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about. It's this not just making up a story here. Um, but we would, uh, you know, he, he would collect the check from the club and bring it to the rent check up to Silvio. You know, they would go around and make other little collections and pickups. But mostly it was just dinners and hanging out and drinking and, and talking about the good old days and, you know, 
the the FBI really did crush that business a lot, but they did not wipe it out, you know. But um, once RICO came in, the RICO predicates are basically if you're involved, if they can prove that you're involved in a criminal organization, they don't have to prove that you've committed any crime. The organization commits a crime, and, and they were able to sweepingly just arrest large amounts of people. You know, I think it's lazy. I think it's lazy police work, but that's my opinion. Um, but that's kind of how I see it. Um, because the, the, these neighborhoods that were left after the, the, the mafia was taken out of them were, are not in better positions. You will ask anybody in, you know, if you're in New England, ask people what Federal Hill was like in the 60s to the 80s and ask them what it's like now. You know, whatever, if you're in a big city that has a mafia neighborhood in it, ask people what it was like when the mafia was running full who was getting deliveries of groceries to their house you know anyone you ever heard of that got killed by organized crime was involved in organized crime you know this is a a war this is a business where where people know the stakes of the game that they're playing they know what happens when they they do certain things and and you know i'm not one to justify murder but i'm one to, to say people can make are adults and can make their own decisions and then when you come in and, and you're allowed to just arrest people for for no charges other than you know that they're associated with someone else you know you wipe out a lot of people and, and a lot of people in these neighborhoods relied on these guys for protection and a lot of these neighborhoods have, have really gone downhill and they're no longer safe to live in um but you know that's my two cents on, on that um so here's where it all starts to go downhill for me. So there's a big mob bust in Rhode Island. And a bunch of guys get picked up. Guys who I had gotten to know. But uh, Nicky was not. And he uh, neither was neither was Silvio. Nor was our friend who owned a strip club in Providence. Who I'm just not going to give a name to. There's no reason to do that. Um, but they all kind of went radio silent. Uh Nikki went to, was never around the club, was never, you know, we didn't go see him for dinner. He has a bunch of legal businesses that he more got involved with, a lot of real estate stuff. He owns car dealerships, I think a golf course. He's, he's involved in, in, in a lot of businesses on the up and up. Um, and that's where he does his stuff. And for the most part now, as far as I know, I mean, I have read, I've, I've Googled him online, his real name, and, and seen that he actually got moved up and promoted in that world but for this time when this was going on he was ghost he was radio silent um shortly thereafter my guy nikki was involved in a car accident and hurt his back and he had to take some time off from the club um and they hired another manager to kind of take his place while he was out but they were believe me they were so happy to have him out because they they knew we were running scams they knew that whether he was involved or not, that he was giving us free reign to do whatever we wanted because we were his guy. They didn't want him there. They didn't want me there. Kyle got fired immediately. They immediately got rid of Kyle. for They, they accused him of stealing. I don't know if they actually caught him or not, but they, they accused him of it, and they got rid of him. And then uh, I one day was going through a girl's file. You know, we had, like, employee files, and um, I saw this girl's ID was not her. And I went to the manager from the Hartford Club, who was now the manager there, who was, you know, who I was friends with, or, you know, kind of so I thought. And I told him, I'm like, hey, you know, this isn't her. And he's like, yeah, we know, we don't say anything about it. But then the owners, the next time they came, they're like, hey, you know, we heard that uh, 
this girl has a fake ID and she drinks in the club. We could lose our license for that. I'm like, well, yeah, I, I let, you know, so-and-so know, and he's my superior here. And they said, oh, he said that he found out that, that you didn't tell him and that you were trying to cover it up and, you know, something along those lines. And, and the new manager who they brought in started running his own scam as well. Um, and he put that off on, on I, I, a lot of things just came on to me. And they were looking for a way to push me out. And now I don't have Nikki. He's at home on the couch with a with a bad back. I don't got Silvio. He's wherever the fuck. So they ended up firing me from the, the, the club. Now, the fucking rocket scientists they were, they let me finish out my shift as the manager of the club. So one thing I hadn't mentioned is we had something called funny... Now, what funny money was is if you didn't have cash on you and you wanted to tip and buy lap dances and whatnot, um, that's not anything we would put on a credit card. What we would do is we would sell you funny money. So you would go to the the ATM or even uh, I mean, excuse me, not the ATM. You would go to a, a credit card processing machine and we would sell you say five hundred dollars in funny money, which was just cash that we made with the club's logo on it. That way you could throw money at the stage or buy dances or or whatever if you didn't have um because you can only take a certain amount of money out of the ATM before it tells you to fuck off. You know what I'm saying? So now we had a way to sell money. So on my way out the door, I grabbed I can't remember. Somewhere between it was at least ten, but it might have been fifteen thousand dollars in funny money. And we had a a a closet or drawers that had hundred thousand dollars, maybe more, in there of this fake money. But I grabbed fifteen grand for myself because I now have no job. So what I would do was I would come up to the club and I would uh, link up with girls who I was friends with still, and I would be, for example, here's two hundred dollars in funny money bring me back 150 and you got 50 for yourself, you know, cause the girls at the end of the night would cash it in. So I would sell it to them at just, you know, a, a cost. They would make money for doing nothing. You know, they're just cashing in this, this funny money. So, you know, I started doing that more and more. Um, you know, I, I got to burn through all this money. And then we'd have nights where we would just take a bunch of boys up and we would all go have fun and party and throw the money around like big shots too. Um, Nikki still wasn't back. You know, he was out, out of commission for a long time with his, his back being hurt. So, you know, there was just new managers up there and, and we were, we, we never let anybody know that we were spending funny money. You know, we would tell the girls here, you know, take this, don't tell them where you got it. And then I was still cashing it in. Um, but then I got hustled. I was down to like my last two or three grand in funny money. Right. And I gave it to this girl who was sleeping with one of the owners. And I didn't know that. And she was somebody who I thought well, like I was cool with. She was actually a teacher out of Boston and would come down and strip on, on the weekends. So I gave her two or three thousand and I gave her, you know, said whatever deal, you know, take four hundred for yourself, whatever she was supposed to have, and then give me back the rest. Well, then she goes to the owner and says, Hey, you're never gonna believe this. Sean just gave me two hundred dollars in funny money and asked me to cash it in for him when it was really two or three thousand. So now she forfeits that two hundred that I gave her, you know, looking like a hero to the to the owner. I get banned from the premises, and she's got three thousand or twenty eight hundred dollars in, in in funny money now that she can cash in for herself without. Uh, getting jammed up you know it was a it was a good play by her man i all the props but that's goes back to the beginning i tell you these girls are vampires man so uh you know 
Nikki one day when he found out about that he he mother you know I can't believe that you did this and you know when I came back I was gonna put you back on and you know what you would have done, but that's the way it played out. I went and worked for another club and you know that club was a dump and then I got out of that business. You know, as a as a human, it's a tough business to be in, right? You know, your your grandmother you see her at Thanksgiving she wants to know oh what are you up to these days you know like. Uh, you know, managing a restaurant. Oh, yeah, we that's right. I forgot you're managing that restaurant. We need to come there for lunch kind of thing. And, you know, you, you got to look your mother in the eyes and she hates you for what you're doing. And I, at my house, I lived at home. I had like free passes to the club laying around the house. And, you know, it was, it's, it's embarrassing, man, it, for your family. You know, nobody like wants to be like, oh, my son, brother, it, well, whatever is managing a strip club. Um, and then when you go out into the world, you try to find a job after that, and it's like, oh, what have you been doing the last, you know, decade? Like, oh, managing strippers. You know, people, even though there's a lot of management to it, there's not a lot of, it's people management, which I think you can transfer to anything. But when you're applying for a, a job somewhere, they're not necessarily going to see the way that it transfers, you know, and they're going to be kind of judgmental, you know. Um, so it's it's not, it's not all... Uh, it was good for me to get out when I did, man, and it was a good learning experience. And being involved with the boys and in, in, in Providence, you know, it, it makes me look at the rest of the world a little bit differently. And, uh, you know, we just hit an hour, and that's my time, man. I'm going to chew it. I don't want to chew up your ears, but if you got any questions and you want to hear any more stories, you ever just have any questions about any of this, man, when you see me, hit me up, um, not putting anything into any comments or anything, but, uh, I don't mind talking about it, but I I just figured I'd I'd pull back the, uh, the, the, the curtain a little bit and let you guys see how the strip club works, how the mafia was involved in it. And, uh, that's my tale again, shout out to beard octane, beardoctane.com, shamrock 10 for 10% off. Shout out to the law firm of Scott Camisar and Steven Reck. Scott will get you paid he will take care of you if you've been hurt if you've been injured if you're being shaken down by the mafia or a stripper has injured you in a lap dance go see my boy scott camisar shout out to i want to give some shout outs so while i was in this lull i did some uh podcast appearances check out peb's talks with my, my friend pebbles she's a morning show host on jamming 1077 um she's got her own podcast called peb's talks um just throw that in Google to come up. I, I did a, an interview with her and she's got some, some really cool positive motivation stuff. Um, go check out the struggling artist podcast. My man, Trev is one of the best podcasters. I know he's, he's got a lot of interesting people. He has a lot of authors and, um, he's in the movie business a lot. He, he, um, he's a good dude, man. And I did an episode with him. I've done two. I did one recently. Um, but I did two with him that I think are both really interesting. If you want to go check them out and you liked listening to me for an hour, um, been listening to some true crime lately check out um always time for true crime and check out oklahoma side if you're into into like murder and mysteries uh those are both available wherever you get your podcast and then um a podcast i've been on a bunch of times i will be on tomorrow the Beauvais MMA Roundhouse. Check out my boy, Death Metal Bob. If you're a fight fan, uh, we'll be breaking down the action from this Tyson fight tonight, Tyson Roy Jones, and from the UFC card, and talking some upcoming UFC and Bellator events. The Beauvais, B-O-I-S-V-E-R-T, MMA Roundhouse. That goes live on Facebook at 5 o'clock tomorrow. If you just put in MMA Roundhouse, it'll probably come up, because he's got thousands of uh, subscribers. He's doing his thing. Check it out. Check me out. Uh, Shamrock Show Pod on Twitter. 
Shamrock Show podcast on Facebook, my own personal uh, Instagram and Facebook. I'm not using them anymore other than to put this out. Appreciate your time. Shamrock Show, back in your life. I'll be back soon with an interview and some more stuff like this.